Mrityum, birth and death, Nibrita, ceasing all material desires, yet, your, Anugrahat, my mercy, Yoginak, transcendentalists, Sak, the Supreme Lord, Bhavan, you, kings with never possible, never possible, may be favored, yet, which, by others. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Translation. Mystics and transcendentalists, by the mercy of the Lord, cross beyond nations by ceasing all material desires. It is not possible, therefore, that the Supreme Lord can be favored by others. Please repeat. Mystics and transcendentalists, by the mercy of the Lord, cross beyond nations by ceasing all material desires. Cross beyond nations by ceasing all material desires. It is not possible, therefore, it is not possible, therefore, that the Supreme Lord can be favored by others. Support. Unless one is favored by the Supreme Lord, one cannot cross over the ocean of the nations of repeated birth and death. Here it is stated that yogis or mystics cross beyond nations by the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There are many kinds of mystics, such as the Kodama yogi, Jnana yogi, Dhyana yogi, and Bhakti yogi. Economies particularly search after the favor of the demigods. The jnanis want to become one with the supreme absolute truth, and the yogis are satisfied simply by partial vision of the supreme personality of Godhead, Paramatama, and ultimately by oneness with him. But the bhaktas, the devotees, want to associate with the supreme personality of Godhead eternally and serve him. It has already been admitted that the Lord is eternal, and those who want the favor of the Supreme Lord perpetually are also eternal. Therefore, yogis here means devotees. By the mercy of the Lord, devotees can easily pass beyond the nations of birth and death and attain the eternal abode of the Lord. The Lord is therefore not in need of another's favor because no one is equal to or greater than him. Actually, everyone needs the favor of the Lord for successful understanding of his human mission. The translation again, mystics and transcendentalists, by the mercy of the Lord, cross beyond nations by ceasing all material desires. It is not possible, therefore, that the Supreme Lord can be favored by others. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Vaishtaya Bhutale Himate Bhakti Vedanta Swaman Jiti Namale Namaste Sarasati Devi Gauravani Vaishtaya Nirisesa Shunyavari Pushyata 
So uh, yesterday we heard from my very learned Dominical Godbrother, and tomorrow we'll hear from that uh, most experienced and talented educator, Nirantara Prabhu. So honestly, I don't feel like I hold the candle to either of these wonderful abilities, but I promise that I do my best. I wanted to take sort of a broader overview of a number of the cantos of the Shemek Bhagavatam. So I will not be focusing so much on, right, on what's going on right now, but try to give a broader overview. This is mainly for me. I didn't show you all to know these things. So chapter 13 of this canto, entitled uh, The Appearance of Lord Varaha, begins with Vidura asking the sage Maitreya, about Swayambhuvamanu. Specifically, what did Swayambhuvamanu do after obtaining his very loving wife? So who knows the name of the wife of Swayambhuvamanu? Shatarupa, right? And who knows who Shatarupa's father was? Lord Brahma. These are very exalted personalities. So I have a, a godbrother named uh, Hanuman Prasakaswami. Hanuman Swami. I don't know if he visits here from time to time, but he's an initiated guru in his khan. And he's a great uh, spiritual intellectual. He actually is occasionally the keynote speaker at academic conferences. And part of his devotional life's mission is to sort of present bhakti yoga scientifically at academic conferences and so forth. So Hanuman Presak Swami gives classes regularly on a, an online forum called, it's a Bhagavatam forum called Isanga. And Isanga is based in Hawaii. My brother Sureshwar occasionally presents also on Isanga. So Isanga is based in uh, Hawaii, but it has presenters and uh, attendees from coast to coast and also international times. Anyway, um, one day on Isanga, Hanuman Presak Swami said something that kind of completely opened up the Bhagavatam for me. And he in introduced an acronym. So we all know that an acronym is when you have a series of words, you take the first letter of each word and then you form a new word, like National Aeronautics Space Administration becomes NASA. So he introduced a, a, an acronym, which at the time meant nothing to me, and now it means a great deal, and that's DAP UP which is D-A-P-U-P. So what is DAPUP and what does it stand for? So it stands for, there won't be a test on this, you're not expected to memorize this, you probably <coughs> already know it. So DAPUP stands for Devahuti, Akuti, Prasuti, Bhutanapata, and Priyabrata. So who are Devahuti, Akuti, Prasuti, Bhutanapata, and Priyabrata? They're the three daughters and two sons of Swayambhuvamanu and Shatarupa. And why are they so important? Well, because Cantus 3 through 7 of the Srimad Bhagavatam are composed basically of narratives of them and of their descendants. So Bhagavad Puran is known as the spotless Purana. It's called the ripened 
fruit of the tree of Vedic wisdom, but it so happens that much of its wisdom is presented through the medium of or in the context of the family history of one of the original couples in the universe, the exalted Simon Romano and his wife, Chaturupala. Now I wanted to read uh, an excerpt from Chaturupala's introduction to the Eighth Canto. Now remember by this time, Prabhupada had translated and commented on Cantos 1 through 7, and he was about to begin the eighth canto. So Prabhupada writes as follows. First of all, let me offer my humble, respectful obeisances under the lotus feet of my spiritual master, His Divine Grace Sri Srimad Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Goswami Prabhupada. When I offer obeisance, it's either may I offer my humble. Please accept my humble obeisance, or please accept my respect. Prabhupada offered his humble, respectful obeisances to his spiritual master. So, Prabhupada continues. Sometime in the year 1935, when his divine grace was staying at Radhakund, I went to see him from Bombay. At that time, he gave me many important instructions in regard to constructing temples and publishing books. He personally told me that publishing books is more important than constructing temples. Of course, those same instructions remained within my mind for many years. In 1944, I began publishing what? Back to Godhead, yes, right. And when I retired from family life in 1958, I began publishing Srimad Bhagavatam. That was in Delhi. When three parts of Srimad Bhagavatam had been published in India, I then started for the United States of America on this is a crucial date, the 13th of August, 1965. Friday the 13th. Oh my goodness, Friday the 13th. So Prabhupada continues. I am continuously trying to publish books as suggested by my spiritual master. Now in this year, 1976, is about to begin the eighth canto, I have completed the seventh canto of Srimad Bhagavatam and a summary of the 10th canto has already been published as Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Still, the eighth canto, here Prabhupada names all the cantos, the ninth canto, the tenth canto, the eleventh canto, and the twelfth canto are yet to be published. On this occasion, therefore, I am praying to my spiritual master to give me strength to finish this work. I am neither, I get this, I am neither a great scholar nor a great devotee. If I think I'm one or the other, forget it. My, my words. Prabhupada says, I am neither a great scholar nor a great devotee. I am simply a humble servant of my spiritual master, and to the best of my ability, I am trying to please him by publishing these books with the cooperation of my disciples in America. Fortunately, scholars all over the world are appreciating these publications. Publications. Let us, and now Prabhupada is pleading with his followers, let us cooperatively publish more and more volumes of Shiva Bhagavatam just to please his divine grace, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. So, of course, Prabhupada wanted to publish and to have us publish Bhagavatam to the very end, and that has been accomplished. But the intention was not to just store them in warehouses all over the, all over the world. He wanted us to read the Bhagavatam. He wanted us to distribute the Bhagavatam. He wanted us to 
learn it, to imbibe it, to teach it, to apply it, and to realize actually the contents of all the Srila Prabhupada's books. So now I'm finishing up the Srila Prabhupada's um, commentary or introduction to the eighth canto of Srila This first chapter of the eighth canto may be summarized as a description of four mothers, namely Swambhuva, Sarochisa, Uttama, and Tamasa. After hearing descriptions of the dynasty of Swambhuva Manu until the end of the seventh canto, Manu Priksha desired to know about other Manus. He desired to understand if this, how the Supreme Personality of Godhead descends, not only in the, in the past, but the present and in the future, and how he, the Supreme Lord, acts in various pastimes as Manu. Since Pariksit Maharaj was eager to know all this, Sukadeva Goswami gradually described all the Manus, beginning with the six Manus who had appeared in the past. Again, these are excerpts from Prophets. Introduction to the Eighth Canto of the Bhagavatam. So I wanted to rewind briefly from the Eighth Canto, the Fourth Canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And chapter one of the fourth canto is entitled The Genealogical Table of the Daughters of Manu. So in chapter one of the fourth canto, we hear how there's where the initials come into play, and Devakuti became the wife of Kardaman. And they gave birth to the incarnation of Godhead named, who knows, very famous, will come upon him soon, Kapiladev. Actually, we'll hear about him later in the third canto. So Devahuti, remember, she's a daughter of Swayamuva and Satarupa. Devahuti and Kardama also had nine daughters, one of whom was named Kala. Kala married a powerful sage, and one of their children was Kasyapa. In fact, you heard about Kasyapa and Diti recently in chapter 14 of the third canto when Diti insists that Kasyapa appropriated with her at a time that happened to be inauspicious, and from that pregnancy, Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha were born. So Hiranyakashipu's son was the great Prahlad Maharaj. Prahlad Maharaj's grandson was the great Bali Maharaj, who was tricked by the incarnation of Godhead named Bhamadev. But now we come full circle because Bhamadev happens to be a great-grandson of Devaguti and Kardava. Remember, their daughter, Kala, had a son, Kasyapa. Kasyapa married Diti. They gave birth to Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha. But Kasyapa also married Diti's sister, Aditi. And their son was Lamade. So let's move on to another daughter of Swayambhuvananam and Shatrupa, Prasuti. Prasuti was given in marriage to Daksha, and one of Daksha's and Prasuti's daughters was, she was the pet, she was the youngest daughter. Does anyone know who that is? Sati. And Sati became the wife of Lord Shiva, but in an incredible incident in the Bhagavatam, she later self-immolated at Daksha's sacrifice because Daksha, her father, had disrespected her husband, Lord Shiva. And we make yet another full circle, because guess who Diti and Aditi's father was? The one and the same Daksha, the father of Sati. So, to review, Swayamuvamano and Shatarupa 
had three daughters, Devahuti, Akuti, and Prasuti, and two sons, Uttanapada and Priyavrata. Now, Uttanapada is mainly known for his famous son, Dhruva Maharaj. And you'll hear about soon, you'll hear about Dhruva Maharaj soon in the uh, fourth canto. So, and finally, Priyavrata. Priyavrata springs into action in the fifth canto. It mentions how he dissipated the darkness of night and excavated seven oceans with the rims of his chariot. He also gave his daughter Urjaswati in marriage to Sukracharya. And Sukracharya appears innumerable times in the Bhagavatam, including as the materialistic spiritual master of Bali Maharaj, uh, and when, when he advised him not to give in charity to Bhagavadeva. Sukracharya also appears again, he was uh, actually, this goes back, as the spiritual master of Hiranyakashipu, and Sukracharya's sons, Shanda and Amarka, were the teachers of Prahlada Maharaj. And going back to Priyavrata, another of Priyavrata's descendants was Lord Rishabde, the incarnation of Godhead. So if I'm correct, Lord Rishabde was the great-grandson of Priyavrata. We have Priyavrata, whose son was Agnidra, whose son was Nabhi, and his son was the great Lord Rishabde. So my point here is that for a long time, the Sriman Bhagatam represented for me an intimidating conglomeration of kind of unrecognizable Sanskrit names, long complex genealogies, and again to me, disconnected historical narratives. But with the simple understanding that Cantos 3 through 7 are basically narratives of the descendants of one illustrious couple, Swamibhumanu and Shatarupa, it all becomes, it became a little easier for me to kind of organize in my brain, it became a little more comprehensible and thus digestible. So remember, Devahuti, Akuti, Prasuti, Uttanapada, Priyabrata. So now let's return to the chapter we're currently studying, which is chapter 16, the two doorkeepers of Vaikuntha, Jai and Vijay, cursed by the sages. Now, I've never thought of the four Kumaras as anything other than completely transcendental to the mode of material nature. But Krishna has a way of taking extremely exalted devotees and kind of putting them in a semi-compromised situation for our benefit. In verse 22 of this chapter, this is coming up soon, Srila Prabhupada writes the following in the purport. <clears throat> the four Kumaras were cognizant of their situation in the modes, passion, and ignorance, because although in Vaikuntha they wanted to curse devotees of the Lord. Since they were conscious of their own weakness, they prayed to the Lord to remove their still existing passion and ignorance. Purity doesn't come cheap. The prophet continues, again, this is the purport of verse 22, coming up to three verses away. The devotees pray to Lord Chaitanya, therefore, to eliminate their stock of passion and ignorance. The most conspicuous, prophet calls them, assets of this yuga. In the Krishna conscious movement, one cleanses himself of the modes of passion and ignorance by chanting the holy name of the Lord, 
Prabhupada just writes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. As introduced by Lord Chaitanya. That's end quote. So in Sreshwar Prabhu's class yesterday, the question came up regarding, I think it's verse 11 from Sri Shapanishad. The verse is, Vidya cha vidyam shayastad vedo bhayam sa avidya rityum tirtva vidyayam rintamashante. The translation is, only one who can learn the process of nations and that of transcendental knowledge side by side can transcend the influence of repeated birth and death and enjoy the full blessings of immortality. And in the purport to that verse of Sri Upanishad, Sri Prabhupada writes, quote, the path of avidya or advancement of material knowledge for sense gratification is the path of repeated birth and death. So I think in this context of the Sri Upanishad, Avidya, or nations, would refer to dharma, artha, and kama, or religiosity, economic development, and sense gratification. And it's stating that one must add vidya, or true eternal knowledge, to the practice of mundane religiosity in order to enjoy the full blessings of immortality. But there's a different kind of avidya, or material knowledge, that I've been cultivating recently in order to help my advancement in Krishna consciousness. And what is that? So I'm trying to understand and honestly get how deeply in the modes of material nature I really am. And if I look honestly, sometimes it's not a very pretty picture. So I was telling Dira Dr. Prabhu yesterday that I was born into a meat-eating family that was atheistic, alcoholic, depressive, neurotic, dysfunctional, unclean, and sex-addicted. My mother used to scoff at people who bathed once a day. Was that too little? No, she thought it was ridiculous. Why do people need to bathe every day? So I suggest, because this has helped me a great deal, that each one of us, for the good of our advancement in devotional service, we check in regularly and honestly and try to assess where we are in terms of the modes of material nature. Here are some qualities to consider. Now this is going to get a little negative, but it's not intended to be. It's meant to be instructive. So let's start with sleep. Someone was telling us recently how Sita Prabhupada hated to sleep. Now, sleep did not interrupt Prabhupada's service to Krishna, but it did interrupt his service to his Guru Maharaj, at least to a certain extent. So if I've had a long day and I'm tired and want nothing more than to climb to bed and go to sleep, you could say, well, that's natural. We need sleep. In fact, we need a sufficient amount of good sleep in order to perform our service. But if I'm attracted to sleeping, if it's more than just a necessary step to keep the body and mind healthy, that's the mode of ignorance, the mode of darkness. So let's look at some other qualities. And again, I don't mean to be discouraging because there is hope. If I'm critical, if I'm negative, if I'm argumentative, if I'm irritable, that's a huge one for me. Don't ask my wife. If I can't keep away from meaningless 
online activity or excessive connection to what we call the news, if I need the distraction of mundane sound vibration or stories or images to relax, if I'm sluggish or tired a lot of the time, if I lament or complain a lot, if I'm sad, if I'm depressed, if I have violent thoughts toward myself or others, if I'm distracted or can't concentrate, if I'm stingy, if I'm hypocritical, if I'm in fear, if I constantly lose or misplace things, if I hold grudges, if I'm bitter, if I blame others for my difficulties, if I'm judgmental, oh, he's so fat and her outfit is ridiculous, if I'm overly stubborn or unreasonable, if I'm expert in insulting others, if I love hearing about the faults and the failings of others, if I'm sarcastic, if I'm impatient or nervous, if I'm envious, if I feel prejudiced towards someone because of their nationality or skin color, if I'm very easily frustrated, if I'm spiteful, if my plans never go beyond dreaming, the list goes on and on and on. Whenever any of these attributes manifest in me, know for certain that I am in the grips of the mode of darkness, tamagun. And to the degree that I'm covered by tamagun, it can hardly be said that I'm engaged in devotional service, which remember is transcendental activity in transcendental consciousness, transcendental to the modes of nature. At best, I'm engaged in a kind of shadow of devotional service. So, if my reaction to all this is, oh my God, it's hopeless, I'm so worthless, I'll never make any advancement, I'm forever captive to this mode of ignorance, if that's my reaction, guess what? That's also tamagun. So you may ask, if tamagun, the material mode of darkness, has nothing in common with the soul, that's an interesting attribute of tamagun, it has nothing in common with the soul, why am I so enmeshed in it? Now you may not be happy with the answer, but partly it's because I'm attracted to it. I somehow find shelter in it. I, I become accustomed to it. I become, and here's the operative word, conditioned to it. That's why I'm called a conditioned soul. Anyway, I wanted to end on a slightly happier note. Lord Chaitanya's message, as expounded by Rupa and Sanat Goswami, as enriched by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, as instituted by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and as adapted for the entire world by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivinoda Saraswati is not just the most effective remedy to cure our conditioned state in a practical sense for real and lasting results. These teachings are the only medicine in this age of quarrel and hypocrisy, to combat the ravages of tamagun, the mode of darkness, which, again, is distinguished by the fact that it has nothing in common with the soul. The mode of ignorance is nothing more than a terminal disease that requires emergency heart surgery, which is there in the holy names of Krishna. 
So I wanted to end by saying that anyone who takes even the smallest responsibility to assist Sri Prabhupada's not to mention those of you who have dedicated your very life heirs to the fulfillment of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's prediction that his holy name will be heard in every town and village. You are the creme de la creme. You are the topmost yogis, and you are the dearmost servants of our entire disciplic line. So Kapalatika and I will be here one more day, and I have to say that we've been treated like absolute royalty. Everyone's been very kind and caring and attentive. And this gives me increased hope that pure Vaishnavism can be practically and successfully implemented in the Western world, all the while nurturing loving relationships between the devotees. So for that, we are eternally grateful and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. So if you have any questions, please direct them to my godfather, Suresh I'm sure he can answer them. Well, I just hope that last statement you made means you're going to come and visit us every year. Just once? <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet. Any thoughts or reflections? Until Linda Prabhu, any thoughts? Oh, sorry. Um, uh, Rishad, the <laughs> wow, I'll repeat the... Of the communication, right. uh, I don't know what type of communication it was, but um, he had to pay for his visit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how it started. Let, let me repeat He so Hari, Hari Puja, Manta said, Manta said that uh, Hanuman Prasakaswami also said that he invented the acronym Pam Ho. It was for... An A-G-T-T. Oh, A-G-T-T. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly applicable for texting and email. Anyway, for better or for worse, right? Thank you for that. Yes, the number... I mean, every quality or absence of that you read was like ding, ding, <laughs> ding. For like a second, when you wanted to, it was like ding, you know, maybe I'm not sure. But um, I would actually like, a, um, if you could, I'll uh, give you my email for sending that list I'd like to send it out. I'm uh, happy to um, give you that list. It's not exhaustive. I have, maybe others of you have seen this, but it's a chart <coughs> analysis of the three modes of nature. I just concentrate on the one I concentrate on. That's what I need help by uh, Rabindasaru Prabhu. And with also, also with references to Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavad Gita, and so forth. But so, so Sandamani. Mataji asked if I could share that list with her. So where did that list came up? I just like sat quietly and thought about my own life for the last two or three days. This list came up of what not to do and who not to be. But then you said the list goes on. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> so yes, but he could not bear it. <laughs> so the chart be 
mean there's, there's the quality and then the remedy? Is that what Ravindra did? What did he do? I, I looked at it yesterday, got a lot of ideas from it. And along the first column, there are categories like religion, food, activities, mental state, and so forth, and then an analysis of how these manifest in, uh, in the various modes of material nature. But I can't do justice to it. I'll have to just give it to you. Yeah. yeah. There's so much wisdom that uh, our God brothers, God sisters, God nieces, and nephews, and generations beyond are just manifesting. And I know there's a sentiment we should stick to Prabhupada's books, and I don't disagree. Thank you. Thanks to my good wife, practically every day we sit down and we read Bhagavatam together. Otherwise, I find it really hard to concentrate. Which mode of nature is that? Anyway, and so, uh, um, but at the same time, so many wonderful devotees are reading Bhagavatam and finding inspiration and writing themselves and speaking themselves. It's like an unlimited flow of nectar. And, and you know, the internet is, on, one, on the one hand, such a poisonous uh, venue, it can be. One has to be so careful on the internet, you, you know, particularly reading works or statements by, to be honest, Vaishnavas who may be a little affected by Tamagun as they criticize and malign other devotees. You read that and you can't unread it. You can't forget it. It's there. We have to be so careful when we're online. But at the same time, we can pull out the nectar, you know, the diamond from the coal and find so much inspiration in online classes and writings. There's so many good and pure and trustworthy sites, websites devoted to Vaishnava teachings in our line. So we should take advantage of that and we should be really cautious about any other things we find on the internet. All right. Any oh, you had well, I, said, I, think, like, um, I, I do have an addiction. You mentioned it. <laughs> And I'd like to, uh, I'd like some tips on how to overcome that. Uh, Are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's what Radio uh, Anmar calls National Trouble Radio. National Trouble Radio. Oh, oh, because I find it so endlessly, uh, it's like an ongoing soap opera, and I use it in class, you know. But uh, that's just the excuse, right? And Prabhupada himself, you know, when he started BTT in 44 until he handed it over to us in 66, he was up on the news, and he'd use it in his articles. But then there's a line, right? So maybe you can talk about that line. Well, and that's why I put in the word excessive contact with the news, because, um, I mean, we want to be absorbed in Krishna, in our service to our spiritual master. Uh, but we want our feet to be on the ground and to be, I think it's a judgment call, to be reasonably cognizant of what's going around, of what's going on in the world. I talked to my wife, are you reading the news again? She said, I want to know what's going on. I said, that's not what's going on. That's just a manifestation of the reaction, the modes of nature. That's people's 
bad karma. That's what the news is composed of. But at the same time, we want to present ourselves as grounded, as citizens of this world, this country, in this case, this state, this city. And if we're clueless about what's going on, sometimes I am, but if we're clueless about what's going on, that, that, that is also not effective preaching, in my opinion. So it's a really fine line. It's like, um, should I take that second sweet ball or not? You know, Not that the news and the sweet ball are the same, but you know, it's like, there's so many thresholds in our daily, in you know, our moment-to-moment -moment life that we reach. Oh, just one more, just one more. And then, oh, too much. So, yeah, just applying good judgment. Sorry, that's a non-answer, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> Well, I find that I cross the line when I find myself instead of chanting Hare Krishna or reciting a verse, all of a sudden I'm, you know, absorbed in the uh, in the pastimes of so and so, you know, the Then, because when it reaches smarana, yeah, <laughs> then you know you're you across the line. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I think it's not that difficult to discriminate between. Just keeping abreast of what's going on in a general way and being a total out-and-out -out news junkie <laughs> and, you know, hanging on every word and thinking about it and talking about it and turning it into, you know, one's yoga practice. Like a turning in. So I, I, I think it's not too difficult to discriminate between the you know, just enough to touch to see what's going on, and then the excesses is addiction. Mm -hmm. it's a because the tendency is there to be, you know, become a new junkie mm -hmm. because of the sound vibration. For the materialists, they're totally absorbed mm -hmm. in that guitar, but they're like crows, going through the garbage. And, and as far as one other thing I would like to say, as far as being citizens of the current world, we're also citizens of the mental world. We're citizens of the Vaikuntra world, where uh, everyone's absorbed in Krishna consciousness. And being absorbed in that is a more uh, powerful attraction for non-devotees than being super smart, super hip on this material world. Excellent, thank you so much. All right, one last, uh, Hari Puja. Uh, how is it that um, oftentimes we see non devotees having better qualities than devotees? Maybe that's easier to practice. Better qualities, of, or better qualities in general, you're saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? That sometimes non devotees appear to have better qualities than practicing devotees? What, why do you think that is? I think maybe because the old example of cultivating weeds along with cultivating plants, the creeper, and that's why I personally try to apply and I encourage others to engage in honest self-examination. Where am I at? I mean, how do I get out of here? In the case of lower, lower modes and lower quality. Thank you very much. Thank you for being such gracious and kind hosts. We'll be here one more day, but we really, really enjoyed it.
Ahora es el que está votando.